Is Jesus an actual person in history, or is he simply a myth? And even if he is a myth, does it really matter when it comes to his teachings? Welcome to Word for the Week, Season 2, Episode 36. Today we discuss the meaning of myth, legend, and reality, and how it impacts the value of what we believe. Well, we start this episode with the well-known words of comedian Ricky Jarvis. And they would say, Ricky Jarvis on a Christian show. Okay, got to watch this one. Uh, and you know that name, right? Sure. He's a British comedian and sitcom writer who's known all around the world. Yeah, he, pretty much. He's known for his witty satire uh, about everything, including mm-hmm. religion. And a compelling quote of his uh, that's become widespread is the one we're going to kind of focus in on today. It goes like this. There have been nearly 3,000 gods so far, but only yours actually exists. The others are just silly made-up nonsense, but not yours. Yours is real. Yeah, yeah I, I'm just trying to picture him saying this. Is a, it's pretty good. It's really a brilliant uh, a quip, if you will. It's it's good for a quick chuckle. And uh, I like it uh, for no other reason, maybe, than besides it is clever, is the fact that it does cause me to pause and think a little bit. As a matter of a lot, I thought about this, the, this quip because it's, it's a pretty good one. But a closer look at it does have it break down in a couple of ways. What kind of ways? Well, um, the first one would simply be in the statement, um, all religion isn't silly, made-up nonsense, that uh, just about every religion in every culture, there's a valid reason and reasoning behind their uh, religion. So we can set that one aside. Right. And the second? Well, it's clever, but it breaks down in, in actual logic. And uh, what I mean is that, um, well... Let me let me use a, a saying that we use all the time, and, and maybe uh, that will that kind of work out. Is have you ever, ever used the saying? It's like finding a needle in the haystack. <laughs> Not only have I used it since I was forewarned, I did a little research on it. Okay, and what did you find out in there? Well, did you know that it's believed the expression is nearly five hundred years old? Mm-hmm. The Catholic Chancellor of Great Britain, Sir Thomas More, wrote the expression like this, to go looking for a needle in a meadow. Mm-hmm. The earliest version, as we know it, appeared in 1834, used by American writer Washington Irving. Right, and so it's uh, been with us for a long time, but here's the question. We know how it works with old English. Has it always been used the way we use it today? It seems that way. Searching for something in such a broad area that it's all but impossible to find it. For example, we have a lot of... <laughs> A lot of paperwork in our office. <laughs> That's why the guitars are there. <laughs> Finding a, a, a particular receipt can be like looking for a needle in a haystack. <laughs> right, right. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. So um, you're saying this kind of fits well. Well, it's a great saying. And how, but how does it fit with Ricky Jones? <laughs> okay, so we've got a, a 500-year-old saying, yeah. which is English. With an English comedian. How do they fit together? Uh, I think the saying stuck with me in its modern form. I think it stuck with people uh, for an added feature beyond what uh, Sir Thomas More said, and that's dealing with a haystack. Mm. So uh, let me ask you, have you ever really taken a close look at a haystack? We live in rural Indiana. That's like asking if I've ever seen a riding lawnmower. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) 
I have three blades of grass, must have a riding lawnmower. Yes. Uh, but if, if you know, here's the point, is that if, if you look at hay, um, it's long stems. Right. So in effect, it looks, every, every bit of hay looks like a needle, mm -hmm. probably feels a bit like a needle too, if you were to start rummaging around, but not quite. It's a needle, but not quite a needle. Mm -hmm. So if you were to put a real needle in amongst all of these not quite needles or these almost needles, uh, it would be extremely hard to find that real needle in the almost needles. Right. I see where you're going. Going back to the saying, just because there are 3,000 false anythings isn't mm -hmm. proof that the genuine thing doesn't ex exist. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you, you run into, even though it makes for a great joke, if you <laughs> look at it in serious logic, a bit of a problem there. Right. Um, and I like the way one person responded, and they did this all in the same size meme uh, for, for what it's worth. But uh, borrowing from them, they said, imagine if you had a really complicated math problem and it was given to 3,000 students. Okay. And 2,999 of them got it wrong. So it's obviously a very... I think I was in one of those classes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was, but I wasn't the one clever person who actually got it right. right. So if that's the case, you have 2,999 get it wrong when one person actually answered it right. right. According to this logic of the joke, the one person who got it right would actually be wrong because since so many are wrong, there is no right answer. Gotcha. Um, and that you know, kind of where he's going. So even even the right is wrong. So, uh, so it shoots holes in his yeah. Ricky's clever quip. But yeah. what's that got to do with legends, myths, and Jesus, especially? Right, because uh, yeah, we got to stay true to uh, what we're what we uh, advertise here. We are talking about myths and legends and how they fit into to religion. So let's get on that. Uh, one thing is laying down, kind of laying down the groundwork here is. Let's look at some some definitions like, to find out, okay, we're talking legends and myths. What's the difference between a legend and a myth? Well, once again, being forewarned, I googled some definitions. Okay. And first so, comes myth. Okay. A symbolic narrative, usually of unknown origin and at least partly traditional. An ancient story or a set of stories explaining the early history of a group, natural events, and facts. Mm -hmm. A myth is intended to teach a lesson or possibly to promote something that is untrue. Oh, okay, so it could be whatever it's, it's teaching a lesson. It could be something that's untrue. Mm -hmm. So can you give us an example uh, of what a myth would be? Sure. First, you've got the Greek myth of Icarus. He was so taken by the experience of flight that he went higher and higher until the wax <laughs> in his wings were melted by the sun and he tumbled into the sea and drowned. Okay, so, and obviously as we talk, uh, we're talking then starting from a completely fabricated story because uh, there, there may have been boys named Icarus, but... You we, do wonder at one point, the first person that came up with that, you know. Yeah, well that's it, and we don't even know. That's part of a myth, is generally mm -hmm. someone doesn't know, but the fact that it's about somebody who waxed feathers onto their body so they could fly, it's its its very imaginative, but we know and they know even in that day, that's just really not possible. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's its obviously not true. However, there it's a fable or a parable in the sense that even though it's a myth, there's a valuable lesson in it. And, mm -hmm. and I guess what do you take? Uh, the one that I tend to take is that uh, you can go too far with your success. You know, mm -hmm. he reached for the sun and it cost him. 
So, right. um, yeah, so, but it, it started from a, a valuable lesson from a completely fabricated tale. Right. So. Um, and another example is the ancient myth of Aphrodite, who one was, of my favorites. <laughs> I should say that as a pastor, <laughs> only well, you, honey. <laughs> yeah, only me. Um, who is the personification of love, of course? Right, and uh, and other things uh, like uh, sex, and of course, in the ancient world, love and sex and fertility—they kind of all went together. Right, and this manifested into a religion mm -hmm. and we know uh if you look into the whole you know story of, of greek gods and everything is let's just say it's 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 pretty hard to not believe they're fabricated however they had the, temples yeah uh they but, but yeah well so they took something that was fabricated mm -hmm. it turned into a a myth that was so credible to them that they developed a whole religion around it. Right. And when you look at it, I really wonder how many people actually believed there was an Aphrodite. Uh, I'm sure there were some, but the big thing is that there was a whole social and moral structure built around this this tale. And so hence you end up with a religion. Like you said, there's there were temples to Aphrodite. So. Right. So, okay, so that that's a myth. A myth can, right. can start from nothing uh, because of credible stuff in it. It, it can end up uh, being accepted by society. So for us, at least as we look at it today to try and explain this, what's the difference between that myth and what we would call a, a legend? Well, a legend is a non-historical or unverifiable story, usually about a real person or event, mm -hmm. handed down through tradition and popularly accepted as historical. Okay, well, there you go. So for me, in a nutshell, it kind of comes down to this. If you were talking a myth in this case is a fabrication from the start, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but it teaches something and it's meant to teach something. Okay. A legend for me is an embellishment on a real person or event, uh, usually meant to make them look bigger uh, or larger than life. So mm -hmm. a myth travels from fantasy to reality. And for me, a legend travels from reality towards fantasy. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a Good way to see it. Um, you know, in trying to find examples, I looked up the most popular myths mm -hmm. of American presidents. Right. And it's not surprising that George Washington is a great source for both mm -hmm. myth and legend, according to your nutshell version. <laughs> yes, yes. And since my nutshell version is being accepted as reality, <laughs> do tell. So what do we know about good old George? Okay, here's one article that explains this popular myth. Possibly the most famous of the presidential myths, the story of George Washington and the cherry tree, was a creation of Washington's first biographer, Mason Locke Weems. In 1800, Weems wrote that Washington, as a young boy, chopped down his father's prized cherry tree with a hatchet and then confessed, I can't tell a lie, Pa. You know I can't tell a lie. I did cut it with my hatchet. To which his father replied, Run to my arms, glad am I, George, that you killed my tree for you, have paid for it a thousandfold. Such an act of heroism in my son is worth more than a thousand trees, though blossomed with silver and their fruits of purest gold. Wow, wax poet, poetic there at the <laughs> yeah. end. 
And while the tales rarely believe, the values it imparts, they still remain. Washington's portrayed as a painfully honest person all through you know, history. Okay, so as you read there that this was completely fabricated by Weems, so it was fits the, the myth thing that we said that it started as a fabrication and worked its way uh, because it was teaching a lesson. Right. Um, so staying with George Washington, then can you tell me uh, a legend about George Washington? One legend of George Washington would be that he never lost a battle. And the truth is, even though he was a major player in the revolution, he did, in fact, lose a number of battles. But the myth serves to present him as a larger-than-life military genius. Right. Uh, and honest. <laughs> honest. Uh, and it's kind of, I, the, I call it the fisherman syndrome. It's like if he had a, if he did win a battle and, and they they conquered a, a, a force of a thousand men, then by the time it's done, it was 10,000 men, you know. Right. So that, with a hatchet. <laughs> yeah, with a hatchet. <laughs> that George, <laughs> stay away. <laughs> <laughs> but oh that would be the legend of George. Yeah, right. Um, so here's what I'm proposing with all of us. Okay. In it. Humanity in general, because this goes back to the beginning of time, we tend to rationalize in two directions. And, and, and when we're dealing with big questions like um, uh, great leaders or heroes or God or even structuring a whole society or a moral system, mm. we either tend to go from fantasy, as we looked at, from fantasy, working it into reality, or mm. starting with the reality and moving, making whatever it is bigger and moving towards fantasy. Right. So we have this thing of, of, of doing it in both directions. Uh, explain more about that. Okay, well... Uh, here, here's a great example because this is real common. Mm. Is uh, for societies, like we said, have have taken momentous events, and and then they turn uh, turn them into a religion or a structure in their society. A great uh, ex uh, or very common object of that is the sun and the moon. Well, not surprising. You look up in the sky from the days of old to now, you right. see the sun and the moon. And if you look across, it is amazing. People have even done some research in this, uh, and it's fun looking at them. Chinese, the Norse, um, the the um, uh, South South American, tri you know, tribes way back, the Aztecs and the right. Mayans, and all people had some type of myth about the sun and the moon, and and they could be friends, or they could be enemies, or they could be lovers. Uh, or they could be fighting, they could be creating, they could be destroying. But ultimately, something's fabricated, Some something usually kind of human traits placed on the sun and moon. Right. So that um, ultimately they do what they end up doing explains to the culture at the time uh, why things are the way they are. Mm. Um, uh, chances are the, uh, the myth actually even forged the society into what it was. I'll give you two examples of that. Take the Egyptian sun god Ra mm. or the Aztec sun god Totec, who was also the god of war. Both of these uh, societies, both of these cultures, rose on their, their theology, this fantasy to reality theology that made them superpowers in the ancient world. Mm. So, uh, you know, basically we're not, we're not, slamming them totally myths do answer uh human need in that regard mm -hmm. so 
We're seeing how myths move. A great fabrication becomes reality. But right. how about a legend? Well, okay, if, if that's the way the myth moves a legend, um, well, today it works in the other direction. We see, and really, we live in the time of legends today, if you will, in, in one way or another. A legend starts with a reality, probably um, someone we know or an event we know, and then moves through rumor and, and story and mm -hmm. conjecture towards fantasy. Um, and, and I'll give you a, a great example in the near history that we have, not even having to go back into the ancient world, is remember uh, Grigory Rasputin. Uh, oh, yes, Mr. Rasputin. <laughs> okay, yeah. I've seen so many movies. <laughs> yeah. the, the rustic mystic who befriended the last Tsar of Russia. He's Yeah, he's certainly... <laughs> An object of a lot of stories. Yeah, yep. a lot of stories. We still have his poster on our wall. So history tells us, you know, if you look at it, you can look into verifiable history. Mm. You can't find out there's a guy named Rasputin. Right. Uh, he, in fact, in 1897, did go to a monastery where it, it changed and he had some sort of an epiphany going on there. Right fact. Mm -hmm. uh, he became known as a religious figure, fact. Yep. Yep. And in 1906, he he somehow worked his way in with the uh, imperial couple of, of Russia at the time uh, to take care of their son, Alexei. So, right. It's all historical facts. So yeah. there there we go. So, uh, But this is where it gets interesting, because soon there are all these, these claims and rumors and conjectures that he has a supernatural healing power, and that's why he's mm -hmm. with Alexei. And then big stories start circulating. Now, those uh, added details, if you will, to what we know is verifiable history, um, they, they elevated him to a larger-than-life status, or chances are we never would have heard of this guy named Rasputin. I think each movie I saw made him bigger and wilder and crazier, you know, added more things all the time. All the time. But those lessons, legends cause as much doubt as the inspired fate. So yeah. some saw him as a genuine mystic, while others saw him as a charlatan. Yeah, I mean, it's a strong opinions and feelings coming, and, and it kind of let us in on a, on a tip of this, whether we're talking myths or legends, they do come with a price, and the price is really... In, in the currency is credibility. Yes, okay. yep. And we know Rasputin was a real person, but we've been told so many unlikely stories about him. We have to ask, who was he really? I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. and a fantasy may develop until it, it seems like it's real to the culture. Right. Um, like, like we were talking earlier, um, uh, Rasputin be a case, but... It, it always does come with this idea of when you build something on a um, a fantasy, like then then it's a question of losing the reality of it. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, you know dealing with the myth, but with the legend in the other way, uh, it's just as bad. So I mean, you lose credibility with the myth because at some point you realize with the myth you've built on sinking sand, as the, as the song goes. You built on it something that really has no credibility. Right. So, But on the other direction, when you're talking the legend like you are, it starts out with something that is 100% credible. Like like we said, Rasputin, there's no question that he existed in history. Right. Uh, but by the time somebody is elevated to um, th things that that are larger than life, then, then that credibility, which existed 
in the beginning that yes, there is someone Rasputin, but with all these stories, I no longer know who the real Rasputin even was. So. Right. And like you had done that quick search of movies and like I had seen so many. I don't know if I saw 30, but you found no less than 30 movies. 30 right? movies, yeah. And so, and, and they were interesting because they went all the way from, like you said, all these ones you, you were watching probably, um, from from something that's a conjecture but trying to be a serious like a, documentary yeah, document, or whatever, right, whatever right. to where the Rasputin as a, a as a isn't he used as a character in DC or Marvel comics in some way? I don't know. I don't know about that, but but, but it, I've seen some doozies. Yeah, where where you know it's obviously built on his or inspired. Like movies can say that code word. Uh, how do they say that? Based on yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and and it becomes so wild that of course you're skeptical about what's even right. true. So okay, we can see how myths produce hollow realities and legends produce skepticism of mm. what's true. Right, and, and that's really the point of the discussion we're getting at today mm. is that we're talking people. We talked Rasputin and Washington and different things, and mm -hmm. and they're hard enough to decipher. But man, by the time you start talking God Himself. Uh, it gets to be a real tough subject. So man-made religions come from both directions. That's really what we're getting at here. Ricky Jarvis wouldn't even argue with us. Is, you know, man-made religions come from this tendency to go come from fantasy to make it reality and from reality to turn it into something that's more like fantasy. And back to Ricky Jarvis's claim, yeah. he says that every religion by none is the desperate byproduct of myth or legend. So yeah, that's about right, right. That, that's about what we're talking about. If we were to, I think he would agree with us on that. And the thing is, I think he's right. He's pretty much, you know, on the money. Uh, in that, uh, I'll put it this way: uh, going by something we already shared, he's almost three three thousand percent right. <laughs> that's the point, isn't it? Almost, <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, in in there, uh, I was looking around and uh, talking about a British. Um, a comedian, there's a, a, a British paper called the uh, Premier Christianity uh, in the UK, and the writer James Carey there uh, comments on a popular show series. I think you watched a whole mm -hmm. bunch more of this than, than I did. It was uh, one of Jarvis's creations, a Netflix original called Afterlife. Yeah. And so he, he writes a comment. And it's quite a good article. I, yeah. I, I have a link to at least in the manuscript, but maybe you can read us some, some okay. of what's in there. The crux of the editorial goes like this. The show isn't anti-Christian or even post-Christian. It's post-post-Christian. Mm. We're so far past Christianity, we can't even remember what we don't believe in anymore. No one seems angry at God because the very concept of God is simply not plausible in the world Jarvis has created. Right, so... Uh, the article, the, the the very good writer ultimately comes to a conclusion, as you expect in the article, and it involves who I understand is the main character in there, the main guy named Tony. So maybe you can yeah, tell Yeah, here's a summary. The show concludes with various char characters asserting things that sound true and would probably make a good inspirational poster. They ultimately beg far more questions than they answer, such as, a society grows great when old men plant trees, the shade of which they know they will never sit in. Does it? Why is that greatness? Why do future generations matter? Good people do things for other people. That's it. The end. Is that the end? Mm 
I know what I think the end is. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But Jarvis has other ideas. Tony does lots of good things at the end of the series, and it feels good to watch the goodness. But why? We live in a world of pain. If afterlife demonstrates anything, it's that our muddled post-post-Christian thinking is a cure that might be worse than the, than the disease. Perhaps series two that has already been commissioned will offer some better painkillers. And I have to say, having watched some of the, like, I watched them and I, I couldn't quite at first figure out what's, what's wrong with this picture, you know, until you start analyzing it further, you know, and, and then you, you see some of these things. Hmm. We've covered a lot of ground on religion, myth, and le legends, but before we wrap up, how does Christianity fit into all of this? Yeah, because ultimately that's what we're, we're coming down to is not just religion because religion um, I think we can go along with what Ricky Jarvis said, all religion is, is not a good thing. Uh, but there's something amazing, especially in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, I found this absolutely amazing. And on Sunday, we'll go more into this side of it. Uh, we just want to get down the legend myth thing today. But in the New Testament, it was prepared 2,000 years ago mm. for the very thing we're talking about now is, it, yeah, you know, hitting from both sides, you know, from legend and myth. Yeah. Uh, the tendencies of the human race have always been that way. Mm -hmm. And even before, even before the Bible was canonized, and, and that's, you know, an interesting story. But even before that, um, uh, in the writing of Luke, um, this is the way it addressed that. that. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Now many have undertaken to compile an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, like the accounts passed on to us by those who are eyewitnesses and servants of the word from the beginning. So it seemed good to me as well, because I have followed all things carefully from the beginning, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent the Theophilus, so that you may know for certain the things you were taught. Then it goes into the birth of John the Baptist. Which, of course, opens up the way for the Messiah type right. of thing. So the writers of the gospel, all four of them, um, were very careful to anchor the account of Christ into verifiable points of history. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, at the time, even going to eyewitnesses on a number of the stuff. Like if if we looked at what they did, we'd say, well, there there's the best journalism, you know, that, right. that, that that you find. It was very very important to point out first from the one direction that Jesus was real, mm -hmm. his ministry was real, mm -hmm. and it was vital to be seen at a hundred percent as it really was right. no no myths nothing coming from fabrication on the on fantasy on one end and no legends nothing that he did being turned into something else from the other end they were did everything they could to say this is it no more no less now why was this so important well because well, God's reality is bigger than human imagination, for a start. If we tried to make the story of Jesus bigger, we'd just end up making it smaller, yeah. is what happens. And, and if anything is a fabricated or a inflated account of Christ is just not going to work, and then we would be, along with Ricky Jarvis in his, in his complaint, is that if there was myth or legend used to um, justify or verify Jesus Christ, 
then we would be just another religion. We would simply just be another haystem in the haystack or uh, another wrong answer uh, to the math problems. But if not, then it becomes the real needle in the almost haystack. That's exactly right. And that uniqueness is uniqueness. I can't talk today. Sure, it's can. highlighted in this week's worship song. Yes. The way, sharing his heart behind the song, Pat Barrett said this. The way, the truth, and the life. It's a simple sentence, but the way it plays out isn't always that simple. Over the past couple of years, Meg and I have had a bunch of changes happen. I'm singing songs that recognize the humanity of faith, which is a lot of unknowns, and singing in a true way without giving fear a platform. We all have our things, but it's like David said, I've set the Lord always before me. And may you walk in the reality of Christ, and until next week, be blessed. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, oh, I believe that you are my fortress, and you are my portion, and you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe through every blessing. To every promise, to every breath I take, I believe that you are provider, oh, and you are protector, and you are the one I love, yeah, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life.
You can also catch our live stream on Canaan Community's Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.